podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Celtic Exchange, a fresh insight on Celtic Football Club. This is the Celtic Exchange Weekly, this is Tino and this week I'm joined by James and Paddy as we cover all things Celtic. Ange and the Celtic squad have landed in Portugal for their mid-season training camp and we're now just 12 days away from the return of competitive Celtic action. The club have been keeping busy off the part two with the signing of Yuki Kobayashi, Alistair Johnson and veteran frontman Peter Lowell to look forward to in 2023. Paddy, welcome back after a few weeks break. You've been sorely missed on the mystery Celt. Not a lot to choose from just now, but what's been your moment of the week in Celtic? Yeah, good to be back, guys. Uh, obviously, it's uh, it's... It's one of the, the, the finer things getting to do this on a Monday. Um, and yeah, I, I think for this week, for me, I just loved the response from a manager where, when asked about the appointment of Michael Beale. Um, I just thought it closed that door once again from our media of trying to get a rise from Ange, trying to bring this old firm uh, type of headline. And it just, you know, it just quietened them straight away. Um, and I just love the, the calmness about it. There's a little chuckle in the in the studio of, of, of when he's been asked and he just doesn't rise, doesn't smile, doesn't laugh at it at all, as in just, that is of no interest to me. All I'm concerned about is my players and my team and that's it. I and, loved it. And my evening meal. And my evening meal. So for those who haven't <laughs> seen it, and I'm, I'm pretty sure most have, uh, when Andrew's asked the question about, you know, the Beal the be appointment and how that'll affect him, he said it won't, basically. He's got bigger things to worry about, mostly about what he was having for dinner that night. So um, you'll barely see that, certainly, uh, anywhere you dig for it on the socials. I also seen something this morning from the Daily Record and they've actually spent a, a section debating whether Andrew's disrespectful with that answer or not. So, slow news day uh, over yep. there, but it's a, it's a kind of sign of where we're at in terms of the quality of some of the journalism in this country. Um, James, so the Celtic players, obviously at the World Cup, doing themselves no harm at all with their performances there over the last couple of weeks, but what has been your moment of the week in Celtic? The bit you just said that I was going to say. Um, All right. But the World Cup, so, so thanks for... No, I need a moment. No, I, I mean, that was generic. Give me your moment. <laughs> the moment, I would say, well, it's, it, this morning it was Aaron Moy, 32, um, I suppose spearheading Australia in the last 16. You know, players get to that age and they think it's maybe going to pass me by. You know, he's playing not high-level football this time last year. He's now at Celtic. He's, you know, like I say, been really influential in getting Australia in the last 16. Hasn't worked out for them, obviously, but a great accolade for him. I was delighted for him. You know, was it Thursday last week? I think it all kind of came together. But then potentially superseded by Maeda, uh, bagging his goal today. So him and Juranovic are looking out as we speak, as we record. So it'll be interesting to see how that finishes. Yeah, Paddy's got the alerts on for any goals. So it's currently one each in the second half of extra time. We might break off to watch the penalties, guys, but we'll, <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Um, so let's have a look at what will be on this week's show. So first off, we'll take a look at the latest news making the headlines in the world of Celtic. We'll then bring you the latest instalment of the Mystery Celt as Paddy returns to show us all how it's done. Then it's a big topic, and this week it can't be anything else but the return of Peter Lowell as our new chairman. The pros, the cons, and everything else in between. And finally, we'll pick out something which we think you'll enjoy from this week in Celtic media. So let's get started with the main news making the headlines this week. And a shock move that absolutely everybody in their dug seen coming. Celtic have confirmed on Friday that ex-chief exec Peter Lowell would be returning to the club to replace Ian Bankier as chairman. Lowell of course spent 18 years at the club as a CEO and now returns in a non-exec capacity. The news has been met with a very mixed response, as you'd expect, and we're going to dive in on that in some detail in the big topic section of the show. But just for now, James, your short initial response to Peter Lowell's return. Pff, there is no short initial response. You know, that's an in-depth... Um Probably like all of us, I've gone through all the, the pros and cons. I don't tend to waste a lot of time in life with 
things that are done and it's done. Um, I suppose the, the kind of route I got to was it's Dermot Desmond that runs it and this is who he wants running his orders. So he wants Nicholson as CEO, he wants Lowell as, as chairman. So that's the position we'll get into the housing wherefores in the big topic. Looking forward to it. Uh, another news, Canadian international defender Alistair Johnson has become our second signing of the January transfer window. So that news was confirmed that news was confirmed on Saturday, the third of December, no less, and two guys in the bag. He'll provide competition at right back with Tony Ralston and maybe with Joseph Juranovic if he's still at the club. Johnson played in all three of Canada's World Cup games and joins us from Montreal of the MLS on a five-year deal. Barry, your thoughts on that one? The fee is rumoured to be about three million, I think. Another good bit of business? Yeah, it seems to be um, a, a player that um, I've, I've only seen um, sparingly when when watching the the MLS. The guys all slag me for watching it, but um, I, I always followed Ronnie Dyla, so um, I'd, I'd seen him the odd time um, on different games, different highlight reels that I'd seen, and very, very our type of player. You know, wants to get to the byline, wants to play the, a nice uh, pass, basically like cutting it back. That's quite uh, a big. Um, favourite of his and I think yeah he should fit in he should give a good challenge um, to um, obviously Juranovic if he's still going to be at the club and and Ralston uh, Juranovic's thing obviously with him coming in we're, we're expecting him to leave I, I understand that but um, he's not really a good 90 minutes for what I've seen uh, before coming into the studio today so maybe all the moves get taken off the table and give uh, Postacoglu a bit of a headache Yeah, It's rare for us to have Three of anything at Celtic, but three right backs. The the math doesn't quite add up. Do you think the writing's on the wall for Juranovic? Um, well, well, it would have to be someone that would have to go, and yeah, it probably would be Juranovic. Maybe time to cash in on him if he's rejected a new deal. I, I could. It, it makes total sense for the team, um, especially when we've went and signed Johnson. So yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, but you just never know. You don't. Football's a strange game and all that. Um, and finally, in World Cup news, Dyson Maeda's and Josip Juranovic's respective nations. Uh, are currently battling out as James says so it's one each I think we're somewhere in the second half of extra time so we'll see how they go but they're both going for a place in the quarterfinals so credit to them and to their countries for getting this far um, Maeda's played his part absolutely he got the opening goal for Japan today um, and we'll see who, who the victor is uh, probably in the next 10-15 minutes Cameron Carter-Vickers and Aaron Moy have also uh, excelled at the tournament but they've now exited um, that's the USA and Australia respectively but they can definitely hold their heads high after their performances across the tournament James, were you keeping a close eye on the Celtic boys out there in general? Yeah, as much as I could. Um, Carl Vickers, I thought, was the, the really interesting one because I thought he was a real calm and influence for America. We, we watched it together uh, last Tuesday night. Um, and he, there was a lot of kind of panic ball in, the, in their defence. There was some shocking defending at the weekend where they left the, the left centre-half just wide open kind of thing. It was real amateur. And, you know, football's a complicated enough game, so you can't just say, oh, if he was there, that would have happened. But... He's a Cameron influence, so I wonder if that game would have been different if he'd played. I think it's maybe now going to be a case for Carter Vickers to to stake a claim for that start. Yeah, eleven, young, young you know, a uh, young lad. High also, level. They, they, the guys have kind of got them to the World Cup, uh, and so fair enough, they're they're going to be the, the start eleven. But it speaks volumes when he says, "Do you know what? Go and, go and have your game here against Iran, a game they needed to win." Yeah. Um, and yeah, he has a Cameron influence. Um, I get talking to a couple of uh, American fans at the airport. Um, and they, they were just coming back from Qatar and they were actually saying, you know, like they, they, they see him as the, the big player they want as part of the team. You know, a, a player playing with Celtic should be in their starting 11 was their words. And yeah, he's, he's, he's going to do really well for them. Um, I think the guy Reem that plays with Fulham, 
he is he, he's another strong player and I could see the two of them playing playing well together. Yeah. yeah. It's a great boost for Carter Vickers himself because you could have seen a situation where he went to Qatar and basically just got the experience of being around the World Cup and part of a squad. I think we were all delighted to see him get the nod for that game against Iran. A huge game. It was so important that they got the result and got the got through to the knockout stages. And he'll come back feeling good about himself, as will Aaron Moy, as will Maeda, as will Josip Juranovic. And it's been a huge learning experience for these guys. They're obviously, you know, learning various things under Ange in terms of how we play and, and you know, and what's required at Celtic. But this is something else to add to their, you know, their skill set, if you like. And it'll also, looking cynically at the financial side of things, it certainly doesn't do you any harm to have, you know, four odd players at the World Cup. Um, in terms of, you know, keeping an eye on the, the various Celtic boys out there, Paddy, there is a... A fella playing for South Korea, the striker Cho Gui Sung, I think his name is. Um, he's got a couple of goals out there. Have you seen bits and bobs of him? Did you see him? I have, yeah. Just kind of, I've been able to catch um, all of South Korea's games. And to be honest with you, he's he's highly sought of in Europe. There are there are teams that have been looking at him for a, a couple of years now. Um, so to be linked with a a striker of that calibre, I think it's uh, it's a good thing for Celtic. Um, where maybe hopefully if we can win the race to sign him, getting him at the right time, definitely Celtic will be looking on what well, you know, how much are we paying and how much can we make on him down the line. I think he is going to be one of those players for us. Um but yeah, um to be linked with him is is quite a big it's quite a big feat for Celtic to be honest. It's quite interesting how they approached the the deal for Johnson. It was clearly agreed before the World Cup and the moment Canada went out, that was confirmed. I wonder if there's something similar going on with a a player like this at South Korea. Well, come on, Brazil. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that there's something identical going on with Juranovic. So Celtic have said, pre-World Cup, you can have him for 10, 12 million or you can go and have a storm of a World Cup and you're not going to get him because he's going to go for 15 to 20. What do you want to do? I think smart clubs will be doing that kind of thing and it might well be with Joe, it's the same. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see what plays out over the next week or two. Um, okay, so let's move on to this week's Mystery Celt. Paddy, I know you and Miff have been screaming into your iPhones in recent weeks with some of the answers, but it's one thing listening at home, it's a very different thing when you're here on the mics, as Brido found out to his cost over the last couple of weeks. He struggled badly and, and he's not been back since, so <laughs> we'll need to see how that goes. The Mystery Celt scoreline now stands at four each between myself and you, lads. I think it was 4-1 when you departed, I know, Paddy. what's going on, boys? <laughs> Manipulation. Ah, up, I've heard them making up rules. Changing rules. Oh, aye, aye. Aye. Did you get it the first 30 seconds? I, I did. Point to me. Uh, That's the kind of thing that people out of form would say. And uh, Ange wouldn't accept your excuses, so crack on. I'm not out of form. Excuse culture. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's all getting pretty tense at the top. But before we get started, I'll give you a quick reminder of last week's mystery sale. So number one, clue number one was, I have 33 caps for my country and have scored nine goals. Clue number two, I've been on the losing side in a European final. And clue number three, I made my Celtic debut in 1999 and scored in a 5-1-1 v Colmarnock. Did you have to take a couple of guesses at it or did you did you know it straight off the bat? Uh, no, I got to the, the final clue, I got it. Um, the, the game against Kilmarnock and I remember being at it. And the answer is? Ian Wright, right, right. Ian Wright, Celtic <laughs> legend James Ian Wright. Um, yourself and Brido couldn't quite get there. Pressure. Pre- exactly that, exactly that. I'm about, about to introduce more pressure with this week's mystery cell. Are you ready? Always. Yeah. Clue number one. My country made it through to the last 16 of this year's World Cup, but I didn't make the squad. I did, however, play at the 2018 World Cup. Anything jumping out? Not yet, no. No. You like to wait a wee bit anyway, don't you? Yeah. Clue number two. Don't get extra points for a first answer. This is correct. You've got all three clues, so you're quite right to play it like that. Box clever. I've won the Scottish Cup with Celtic and scored in the final. Rogic. 
I mean, that is all true. Aye. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope so. <laughs> clue, clue number three blows this out of the water. All right. Carry on. Clue number three, I've won 110 caps with my country, scoring 10 goals. Uh... So, while the lads are having a think about that one, I want to let listeners know of a new feature that we've launched across our social media channels called Celtic and 60. Each morning, we'll bring you the very latest headlines from the world of Celtic in a 60-second video across our Twitter, Facebook and Instagram channels. We'll link to them in the show notes here, but if you're not already following us on those channels, then do so now to enjoy the new feature and to ensure you don't miss a thing. Got anything, lads? I'm struggling. Yeah. Miff is the, the great hope for, for you lads because who, who's, got, who's a international legend for their country that played for Celtic and scored in the Scottish Cup final that's the, the summary of it basically 110 caps he's basically just telling you the clues in a different way but I know. <laughs> I'm just making it more consumable he's just putting the words in a different order um, I'm going to have to press you because we're moving on from this section very soon and I'm cruising to a 5-4 lead by the looks of it I think we should change the rules for a start you get the time until the next section or something. Nothing. So you've guessed Rogic, Paddy. Nope. Any names for me, James? Nothing at all. No. No. What was that? Oh. On the buzzer. What was that? Oh, he's done it. <laughs> he's done it. <laughs> so. Hey. hey. That, oh, that's that a sh- <laughs> That's a short wind. <laughs> I gave you too much time. I gave you too much time. on the buzzer. Time. So that'll be beeped out. Uh, James got it on the buzzer, uh, allegedly. This is where you need VAR for oh, the studio. There you go. Um, so it's now 5 4 to the panellists. James too cocky, wasn't he? Well maybe, played. Maybe. Yeah. Well played. So if you think you know the answer to this week's Mystery Celt, remember to tweet us at Celt Exchange using the hashtag Mystery Celt. Hashtag. A lot of hashtags there. Okay, let's get into this week's big topic. As I say, could it really be anything else uh, after the news broke on Friday about Peter Lawwell's return to the club? He'll officially return to the club as non-exec chairman and will take up that role officially on the 1st of January 2023. Ian Bankier will retire after 11 years in the role to pave the way for Peter's, Peter Lawwell's return. Though Paddy, has he ever actually been away is the big question. So what we'll do, we'll break this topic into a few key sections, but first of all, I'm keen to hear your initial responses to the appointment. I'll come to you first, James. Like I said earlier on, I've, I've written a whole load of good and bad because let's be honest, there, there is good and bad. It's not, you know, Peter Law all bad. The 10 in a row thing is what's hanging over everyone and the influence, the over-influence and the overreaching he was, he was doing um, when he was at Celtic as, as CEO. If Celtic want to be taken as a professional club, then the way I've kind of got to it is, yes, it's fine, but only if these kind of things. So no influence over Nicholson. Uh, definitely nothing to do with the dressing room. I think it's a real sore one for his for his son, Mark Law, because if say Angie decides that, do you know what, it's not quite working out with Mark Law, oh wait a minute, his dad's a chairman. So, you know, the the things like that, I just think it's clumsy, lazy, all of that. But if Law just comes in and does his job, which is, you know, an ambassadorial position and influences things like ECA, you know, European Club Association starts to move towards professionalisation of the SFA and the wholesale changes required there, it can be a good appointment. I'm cautiously optimistic about it, but I think there's huge risks as well. Yeah, lots of caveats there. I mean, in principle, a non-exec chairman, you know, inverted commas, shouldn't play any active part in the day-to-day running of any club, should they? No, but the problem at Celtic is we've got non-exec directors that have been there for 27 years. I think the guidelines are nine 
you know, you need to change things up, stop things getting stale, because they just start to nod along. And Law knows all these guys, knows how they work. Whether some are on the gravy train or not, you know, you can maybe split the room on that in terms of some are, some aren't. But we need new, fresh, non-execs and on the board that will stand up for themselves mm -hmm. because he's a man that needs to be stood up to, as we've known, you know, found out to our cost. Yeah. Paddy, what about you? Where do you stand on this one? Um, I think time will tell, obviously, with the appointment. It's um, it's not one I'm happy about. Um, and the reason the reason for that isn't just 10 in a row. Um, you know, we, we look at the achievements of Brendan Rodgers um, and what he done for Celtic at a time where that should have been happening. Um, I always kind of say that, um, you know, some of the best days of my life was watching those, watching us win those trebles. And they really were. And, you know, the, even the ones, the game against Hearts when we won the treble treble and Neil Lennon was appointed manager after. I remember that the elation of being, like, feeling amazing and then thinking, well, well, wait a minute. That's a bit of a backward step. And that was my opinion on it at the time. And, you know, I think we were all kind of proven right come the end of uh, of Lennon's, Lennon's time at the club. Um, but it just doesn't sit with that. We should have been winning trophy after trophy after trophy in that period. Ten in a row should have been in the bag. And what has happened since the Anil days, since Martin Anil left, is that this team has tightened the finances, tightened the budget, and sat happily with a domestic side which is going to win trophies. They've been more than happy with that. It's appeasing the fans. It's getting one over Rangers. And that that was the vision of the club. We've not won a knockout tie since 2003 in Europe. That's massive. That's embarrassing. And this guy, it was the front of that, in my opinion, as well. What we need to be looking at, in my opinion, is fresh eyes, like, like uh, Jamie said there. And I just think this is potentially just a sign that, yeah, Albeit Michael Nicholson seems to have come in and, and you know, opened the bank book a bit for us and we, we are seeing these players coming in. But is this going to be the, the, the beginning of slow it down a bit? Slow it down. We just need to do this domestically. I hope not. That's my worry. Yeah. There's definitely pros and cons all over the place here. Um, so, it's, you know, it's not cut and dry. But what we'll do, we'll look over some of the pros and cons. I'll go through some of the lighter ones and actually I'll just run through them. Then there's some that definitely <laughs> should be discussed a bit more detail. So, pro number one, Peter Lowell. So I think he got on board just after Seville in 2003. I think that's timing-wise. He spent almost 18 years as CEO from 2003 before retiring from that role last summer in summer 2021. During the time, the club won 29 trophies, including 13 league titles and a quadruple treble. Pro, tick, all good, right? Facts, can't argue with that. This is not Noel McGrath talk. First, uh, first con coming up, and you've touched on it there, Paddy. Despite the occasional highlight here and there, our European results have been generally very, very poor in that 20-odd year spell since then. Uh, we failed to qualify for the Champions League on a number of occasions, losing out at the playoff stages to teams like Maribor, Malmo, AEK Athens and Cluj. We absolutely, as a club, should be competing with them. You know, you're looking back and I've you know, done a bit of research today. You know, Arsenal put us out one year. No bother, Fair enough. right? Put the pause up on that. Maribor, Malmo, all these, no excuses for that. And that's because we constantly failed to back whatever manager was in place at the time ahead of those qualifiers. But don't worry, James, I've got another pro coming up just to keep, keep it positive. Need it. 
Um, again, you touched on it. So Peter Lowell's got huge experience domestically and in Europe and currently represents Celtic on the board of the ECA, the European Club Association. And this could be vital for the club uh, during these times of change and upheaval for the European Games. So it's very important that we've got a say in what goes on there and, and how we fit into that moving forward. Um, the second, for me, big con is that during his time, certainly as chief exec, and hopefully you know he's moving into a very different role now. But during his time, he was a very stubborn, stubborn negotiator. And again, you know, as I mentioned, he would rarely speculate to accumulate. And po- probably due to his accountancy background, we missed out on a lot of key signings. The two most recent ones for me is John McGinn, who's now worth twenty odd million, and Ivan Tony, who's worth probably double that. Mm-hmm. I'm saying worth that, but that's what the market yeah. down there will dictate. Um, by contrast, some of the field signings over the years are incredible. Mo Bangura, Marin Shved, Stefan Shepovic, Adam Virgo. Tell me when you want me to stop because it just, just stopped. The first, the first one. And on and on. There's so many. Just kind of interject a wee bit on this. Please and, do. And I kind of fairly, no, much in agreement. We spoke about it a few weeks ago that even if that is your style as a, as a CEO, as an accountant, whatever it may be, it has been proved to be financially crippling because you spend a lot and you don't make any money because they're just dead assets on your balance book so surely he's able to have the humility maybe not of, of even looking back and saying look turns out that was the wrong way to go and it's what we're doing now is we're taking guys in you're an average two and a half million now worth 10 million whatever it may be and say well that that's got to be the future and it's how the manager wants to do it so I hope he, if he can't keep his you know knows out of uh, Michael Nicholson's business he should at least respect that what we're doing now works better than what he did I hope so on that sorry uh, Tino, I, I hope so on that one Jamie because kind of what you're saying about you know looking at what we what could have been you know getting into all the uh, Champions League qualifiers we beat on at centre half Player, player, players not being in the team and enough time to settle we should have been sending our players in the January I always say that give them that four or five months period to get used to the team and then they're good to go for the summer we goes to this uh, the ECA setup, and everything that we were getting from those meetings was is that you know the Champions League is likely to change, European football is going to change, there's going to be more money available, but Celtic and uh, and, and Rangers probably are, are looking to be included in this and not forgotten. And I'm like, well, the only reason, the only way you won't be forgotten is if you make sure your team's in it every year. And he wasn't doing it, and that's that's a big worry. Um, but to go and join this board and say. That there, that there are teams pulling away from us. A lot of that lies at his door, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, and it's teams like Porto, Benfica, you know, Dutch teams who have you know run a money ball system for the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. when we were just you know doing the bare minimum to try and squeak in. It's a bit of a contradiction, isn't it? When you're sitting at that top table, you know, making your demands as a club at Celtic's level, yeah. and the guy next to you turn around and say. Did Malmo not just beat you? Exactly. Did, did Maribor beat you? You know, it's, it falls in deaf ears to an extent. They are riding on Jock Steen's coattail still. 100%. 100%. What do you think, James, from Michael Nicholson's point of view? So obviously he came in on an interim basis when the Dom Mackay experiment uh, unravelled before being given the role as chief exec on a permanent basis. He's performed exceptionally well during that time. His stock is as high as it could be amongst the fans. He's deemed to be very popular, mostly by virtue of backing the manager. And that's all you really want from your board and from your chief exec and to make sure that you're running a you know a, a tight organisation that aside. Now that Michael Nicholson is the top man, you know, he's worked, he was part of Peter Lowell's 
old regime. He worked under Peter Lowell, directly under him actually. He won't be of a mind to now be undermined, you know, and it, a lot of people are speculating that Peter Lowell is now going to come in, nudge Michael Nicholson aside and say, right, I'm back in town and this is how it's going to go. I think from what we've seen of Michael Nicholson, he's a, he's a more reserved personality. He's certainly not as bombastic as a Peter Lowell might be, but I don't think Michael Nicholson is going to just step aside and let anyone take over what he's doing. No, I, you know, he's a very intelligent, intelligent, talented individual. And if he is found to be the kind of CEO that does that, his career's over at Celtic or otherwise. And, you know, he'll be an ambitious guy with his own goals for his, his career, whether at Celtic or, or beyond in, in years to come. So he couldn't pick up that kind of reputation. I don't, I don't see that happening. That's not to say it couldn't be tried and it could push him. But he'd have to make a decision of whether he wanted to accept that or, or leave. Um, I think it's more that, it's not even more on top of that, that guidelines are that a CEO shouldn't become chairman, particularly when he's got a relationship with the replacement CEO, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we've, we've read that a few places. And it's, the problem with that is they're guidelines, and it happens in the business world all the time, but it leads to Celtic looking like a dynastic business. We tried that, didn't work, if you remember, the 1994 takeover from McCann. Yeah. So when you start to have a CEO that's now chairman, oh, and his son also works there. And I mean, that is no slight in Mark Law. I believe him to be a talented individual that seems to be doing good stuff, but mm-hmm. it just starts to, you know, poison the well a wee bit. And I suppose that takes me to timing. It's all going so well. Why now? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a very valid point. We'll maybe get to that in the next wee bit that we cover, but it's um, you're right in terms of that best practice guidelines. So I think Celtic voluntarily sign up for a code of conduct as part of, you know, who they are as a body and a PLC and all that. And one of the suggestions, not, you know, absolute requirements, is that you go through a full interview process with a number of suitable candidates, potentially with a a neutral HR advisor to make sure it's all fair and proper. I'd be amazed if anybody else has been spoken to in relation to this job. I think the moment it was clear that Celtic were making a change or Ian Bankier decided, whoever decided, I'm not too sure. But the moment it was realised that someone else was required as chairman, it just seems to be that it was an absolute shoo-in. Sorry, just a equipment paddy. We were on the way to Leverkusen. That wasn't yesterday. And we were told Law was going to be chairman. That was last November, a year ah, ago. 21. November. Sorry, Paddy. No, yeah. it's all right. No, you're, you're right. It's kind of, it's a strange it's strange time in the summer, for example. Just just put it out there then. And obviously, there must have been things to be kind of tied up before it went into place. Um, it's just, I'm not surprised at it. I don't think the timing really changes too much in the sense that I've always kind of felt that Law's never been away. <laughs> you know, I always kind yep. of think that he will always have his say in this club. Um, and that's just the way, kind of what you mentioned earlier, is that's the way that Desmond likes it. You know, it's... You want change, you need to change the owner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aye, and it's, that, it's window dressing to talk about Law and Nicholson and all these yeah. things. If you want real change, you need to change the owner. Absolutely. James, as the old saying goes, if nothing changes, nothing changes. On that's, that one, it's, that's a bit deep. It's, uh, it's Croatia who go through. Croatia? Oh, yeah. Japan are out. An extra time or penalties? Penalties. Hope, uh, hope we haven't done a pre-deal for Jaranovic. It's a five million. It's price away through the roof. Maybe it is five million per game, so here's <laughs> what we get to the final. Poor Dyson. Poor Dyson. <laughs> um, getting back though to the, the pros and cons, so as I mentioned, there's a few more of each and gets a wee bit heavier as, as we go through. So the next pro in terms of Peter Lowell standing is that I very much believe, in fact, I know that he is a genuine Celtic supporter. And 100%. D- despite the mistakes that have been made, I genuinely believe, in his own way, he's got the best interests of the club at heart. Um, he's ex- 
been extremely well paid by Celtic over the years. There's no doubt about that, and there's various figures of, of his remuneration. Um, but it's also clear that he knocked back even more money when Arsenal tried to lure him as their chief exec in 2008. So if he was solely money motivated, he could have gone and you know achieved those ambitions elsewhere. The other con, however, again, you've touched on it, James, it was the sheer arrogance that was shown when Neil Lennon was appointed and the arrogance in general during that failed 10 in a row season. You know, the whole thing about, yeah, we had other CVs, but we put them in the bin. So all like that kind of stuff. And I think many thought at the time that the decision to appoint Lenny permanently in the showers and all that chat was destined to fail. And it did fail. And I think that's what sticks in so many throats. Exact same reaction as Paddy. You were on the bus with me coming out of uh, Hamden and it was all treble treble, cock a hoop, sticky game, got there thanks to Odson. Brilliant, off we go to enjoy it and then pff, bang, right down to earth. Um, it, it was that and then the way they tried to, you know, mug you off after and saying, you know, this was the best guy, even if, you know, whoever had put their hat in the ring, they wouldn't be getting it. Lennon was the man for the job. Every single Celtic fan that I've ever spoken to knew at that point, this is looking shaky. For 10 in a row. Remember the review? Remember that? Things were going horribly wrong. Got to around about November, December and fans were protesting. And I think it was Bank here maybe that came out and said, don't worry, we'll carry out a review and we'll, we'll let you know in January. And we all thought, you know, Lennon would be off and different things. And it was just a line to keep us at bay for another couple of months. And it was a slap in the face. Yeah. As you say, James, you, you were getting mugged off. And listen, painful as, as it can be at times when things aren't working out in the park, you can make your peace with it if you think everyone's pulling the same direction and there's a bit of transparency from your club to say, here's what we've done, we've tried this, this has happened. You just felt you were getting fleeced at that time. We've, we've gone through a really tough Champions League campaign there, you know, with really poor points return. Again, every Celtic fan I speak to is right behind it. You know, mm-hmm. it was tough, we didn't get what we wanted, but the intent was there from absolutely every Celtic player, all the coaching team and the fans. So like you're saying, if everyone everyone's got the right attitude, we're not looking to be just, you know, moaning for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. There's a last very, very big and very important pro to Peter Lowell's presence at Celtic in recent times. And it's the fact that he was pivotal in bringing Ange Postacoglu to the club. Again, Celtic tried to give us a bit of spin that Don McKay was involved in that. And He's my man. I wouldn't mind asking somebody about how that came to be because cause that was spin that was thrown our way that Dom's a new guy and he's brought in Ange. It's, I, I think that's what it's been, yeah. yeah. Just, just to drive that. You know, it, it makes sense. Everyone's kind of come off the back of all and, and are a bit like, right, good riddance. Let's see how good the new guy can be. It's been sloppy PR at best though, because since then that's all come out in the wash. Ange himself saying, listen, Peter Lowell was pivotal to this whole thing. Um, so yeah, so obviously he's, he, he was hugely important, whether it was through Mark Lowell's links with the City Group or however it came to be. Peter Lowell's played his part in appointing what I would say is the best Celtic manager in many a year and everybody by and large is, is so happy with, with Ange and, and what he's doing at the club and, and how he's turned things around. So that's a, a huge plus, you know, that, that you know, Peter Lowell's identified him by whichever means and then made that appointment. The last con, however, and again, this is for some supporters, it's the, the be all and end all of as to why Peter Lowell shouldn't return. So it's, it's a biggie for so many fans. And it's the suggestion that Celtic and specifically Peter Lowell were somehow complicit in what became known as the five-way agreement. Now, this is an agreement which effectively allowed a version of Rangers to continue playing at Ibrox within the Scottish League structure. And listen, it's a complex subject, you know, and it's, I I can admit I've not got my head fully around it, but there's lots to it. There's lots of information online if somebody wants to go and, you know, look it up and, and get up to speed with the finer details. But for the sole reason that Peter Lowell 
seemingly played some sort of part in that or at least had visibility. Some people just can't come away from that, such as the rivalry between Celtic and Rangers. And, and I think some people just have, you know, set up camp in that area and they just won't move away from it. Yeah, and, you know, ably um, manipulated by the media as well, you know, post five-way agreement. This isn't some childish endeavour that, you know, we want Rangers or adversaries to Rangers to be, you know, held down or anything like that. Football has to be in the Corinthian spirit of fairness and fairness didn't happen and we want results off the back of that, whether it's titles, medals, all that stuff that's now gone because of the five-way agreement. Fans won't let that go because sport has to be fair. And you can understand it, Paddy. Yeah, I think first and foremost, though, with with someone like Peter Law and and how that was handled, is that yes, granted, he's he's a Celtic fan, but I think that comes second in being a businessman, and he knows that with Rangers being involved in that league, that bodes well for Celtic. Simple as, and that's what we've seen over the nine seasons, effectively. When obviously four or five of them, they weren't they weren't a part of it, and then the four seasons that they were, they've they've built a bit of momentum. That's where we've seen a lot of penny pinching for the club. We obviously, we spoke about Lennon jumping ship because he was told he wasn't getting any more money. We've seen what happened to Ronnie Dyla and the fact that, you know, some of the signings he was given, it was brought back a little bit when we brought Rodgers in after being embarrassed in a semi-final against mm-hmm. them. Um, so yeah, it made sense for stuff like that to happen. I'm not surprised at it in the slightest. Celtic, in order of, of the league that we play in, need that rivalry need that money because it brings the money into the club. That's the black and white of it. No Celtic fan really, really cares about it that much. That I think there was loads that were more than happy to see them disappear. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, that's that's what this club needs. And I can see why Law you, would push towards that. Do you need it if you've got a Champions League ambition? Is it just well, well, I'll, ask a, I'll ask another question uh, down that same road. So but we're all, you know, enjoying league after league mm-hmm. after league during those times, Ronnie Dyla and, and otherwise. How did you enjoy pipping Aberdeen, inverted commas, pipping Aberdeen to the league, i.e. blown them at the water by about 30 odd points compared to going neck and neck with Rangers and winning some big Celtic Rangers games and winning the league with them uh, sitting below you? And enjoyed it the, way, the same way I would win every other league, you know, in the sense that that's what we pay our money to see your team do. And I, and I know the the angle in which you're, you're, you're putting that, but we've blown Rangers away. Mm-hmm. We're winning the league 25, 27 points before. What feels better? What I, I, You know, I'd rather not have a heart attack and watch this pip it with, with goal difference or anything like that. It's not, it's not worth it. I, I just think, <laughs> and I'm not going to get into the merits of how Rangers done what they've done in the five-way agreement, but I think just, even taking Celtic out of it, taking football out of it, competitive sport is hugely based on who your biggest rivals are. And if your biggest rivals are removed, it's not as much fun. Pick the biggest derbies, Real Madrid v Barcelona, take one of them out, it's not as exciting, it's not as much fun. And I think we're in that same world. That's how I feel about it. So that Aberdeen season you're talking about, blew them out of the water and all that stuff. Who did we, who knocked us at Europe that year? We don't know, right? Whoever it was, Maribor, mm-hmm. whoever it was. If we'd had a proper organisation that went at the Champions League and we went on a run to this and we beat Real Madrid at that and you set up new rivalries yeah. you know against teams that you come up against time and time again I can live without them tomorrow oh, I mean I get that and, you know you'd love to see the progress uh, in Europe but you've got 38 games to play domestically that's a lot of games if you're not really caring knowing that you're going to cruise to the title I could open up a whole new debate with this one what should have been happening then is either A the team the club should have been looking at 
reformation, whether it be within a, a European league. A reformation, Patrick? A, a reformation, uh, sorry, apologies. Uh, aye, uh, whether that be looking at uh, countries, the likes in the Netherlands, Denmark, and bringing in teams of that, like kind of Northern Europe, European type of small all, small country league. You know, all the big Calvinist all countries, the, basically. Aye, aye, pretty much. But we should have been looking at something like that, or the other one that should have possibly happened with, obviously, the lack of sponsorship in our league um, for, for certain seasons. We should have been even looking at something like extending the size of the league to stop it being that monotonous four games against these teams every every year. All of that got chucked out because there just couldn't be an agreement on stuff. So I think that as much as we, yeah, we, we, we kind of, in my opinion, we sat on our hands for nine seasons and won the league. We didn't really have to do much. I can understand why they've been given almost like a lifeline. I get it. I, I, don't, I, I don't agree with it, but I totally understand as a business, that's what we had to do. Yeah, it's an interesting one and it's maybe, you know, from that sport, sport integrity point of view, James, mm-hmm. there's maybe a, another discussion for another day. Paddy, you'll just be delighted that a resident wor- wordsmith is in the house. So I'm just, I'm just noted aye, today. Me there, <laughs> <laughs> Dynastic, <laughs> Corinthian, Calvinist, Reformation. Yeah. Miff will love that. Reformation's Paddy's. Re- no, Reformation's yeah. mine, aye. Right. I've just said Reformation. He, he just told you how to say it, right? <laughs> no, um, I wasn't. I wasn't correcting you. <laughs> you did. Moving on, moving on. So That wasn't what that was. I was talking about the Reformation. You're on a high after you go, uh, Mr. Sell, it's fine. That's it. <laughs> the Reformation of the 16th century. I got you. <laughs> Let it go, James. Uh, moving forward, so you, Paddy. we'd spoken about the, the messaging and the, the timing of the Peter Lowell uh, announcement. So obviously, Celtic had a perfect opportunity to announce this news at the AGM, which took place just over a month ago on the 4th of November. We're recording here on the 5th of December. Um, at the time, uh, after being challenged on it, Ian Banker wouldn't be drawn on the subject and when asked about it, he replied, The decision to step down was my decision. It wasn't on the board's agenda. As soon as the board has made a decision on the new chairman, it will announce it to the stock exchange. Instead of anything, you know, there, Celtic then chose to announce it just the other day during a World Cup break and at a time when Celtic are nine points clear at the top of the Scottish Premiership table. You could say it's clever timing, James, you know, if you're being polite about it. But basically, I think, in my opinion, the club... Well, I'll ask you, do you think the club are being disingenuous at that time of AGM? It's a lot of things. It's disingenuous, it's cowardly. Um, it might even be a lie. Are you telling me that that, wasn't, that decision hadn't been made at that point? I don't believe that. I don't believe it for a second. Right. Whether it was rubber-stamped, ratified, whatever, that decision had been made. If you haven't made a decision of who your chairman is going to be in January and it's the 4th of November then we've got issues with you as well. Yeah. Um, the fact that we haven't even talked about Bankier, one con I would say for Lowell is he's not Bankier because there's never been a poorer fit for chairman for Celtic than Ian Bankier. There's nothing about the club, has no connection with the fans and I'd be delighted to see the back of him. I actually am happier Lowell's there than Bankier. Put it that way. I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that and Bankier was there for 11 years mm. and... Just I uh, could not get the fit at all. But business is business, and that's fine. But from Celtic Football Club's point of view, there was just nothing between him and the the supporters. No, nothing at all, and I, that never but, made any sense. But see if that is it. What is he doing on you know the the business side of things or the Celtic influence side of things? Tell me one achievement of bankers in the eleven years he was there. Yeah, I, I don't have any answers to that. I mean, Paddy, straight up question. Did Celtic know at the time of the AGM that Peter Lowell would be succeeding Ian Bankier as chairman? I would think so. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. so there's something at play there, and don't get me wrong. You know, if you're a if you're a PR guy, <laughs> it's, it's the advice you give. Yeah, exactly Absolutely. that. So if you were asked when we should make this announcement, not then, not then. I don't know how many attend the AGM, but it's 
a lot of folks, and it would have been a lot of angry folks, had Celtic said, and in other news, <laughs> pull back the curtain, out steps Peter Lowell. So from a, a cynical point of view, a PR point of view, you can see why they wouldn't announce it, but announce it away from the AGM or, or something, or, you know, just if, be more sincere. If the situation is that you feel that you can't announce your new chairman at your uh, AGM, maybe the appointment's not right. That's a, a, a fine way to put it, because we're talking times past about reading the room and how often Celtic have failed to do so, particularly during that 10 row season, but there's been many examples over the years. And this is another fine example of reading the room. Re- read your audience, read your you know, supporters is, is what we are, but you know we're looked upon as your, your customer base, if you like. And there's a huge percent. Listen, a lot of folk will be perfectly happy about the appointment. There are a serious number of fans who are not, and I just don't know how much Celtic have considered that at all. Um, yeah, I think... I think Jamie's spot on with that there, you know, like it's, it's a case of this is, uh, this isn't something that they, they seem comfortable about. Um, if they've left it this long to come and tell us, and like we say, they've known this for a long time. Why why are we finding out during the World Cup? Yeah, exactly. The team's just about to go to Portugal as well. So like, you know, even, even Ange might not be pressed on it as much as well. It's, it is clever. It, it does make sense. And yeah. that's, this is what I'm worried about. Is this a step back in the, the, the wrong direction? I get that. So I've got a positive diversion, if you like. Go for it. Or just, you know, we are where we are. And we definitely are where we are. Yeah. Because this is going to change. You know, us talking in the studio isn't going to be Dermot Desmond going, maybe not actually, we'll, we'll change that, guys. We'll put Tino yeah. in charge of the, I the chairmanship. I don't think Desmond listens, but you never know. <laughs> maybe one of his, his kids does. But if Celtic, you know, they're talking about being cute with PR and all these things. Well, you know, Utilise that. If you're going to be a PR-driven board, then utilise it and say, well, what do the fans want to hear and what do we want to deliver for the fans? So we know Ange is you know, professionalising things all over the place. Nicholson seems to be doing a lot of the same. So where are we as a corporate entity? You know, what, what are you doing? I was talking at the top of the show about, are you making any inroads with the SFA to professionalise that? Are you having any you know conversations about with the referee structure that the shambles that it is and the, the old boys network that it is and all these kind of things. If we're going to be a modern club, then let's make some influence, influential changes and let the chairman be the person who leads that journey, if you like, not executively, mm-hmm. but in terms of the, the strategy of it and the, the the overall message to the fans. There's an opportunity for the, for the board to put LOL in a better light and they, they'll need to do something because this can drag on. They'll need to do something and I wonder if, you know, since Peter Lowell left the building, inverted commas, right? Summer 2021, not long ago at all. It does feel like a different Celtic, even in that short space of time. You know, there's obviously been a number of changes internally. The figurehead for everything and all things good is obviously Ange Postacoglu. And you wonder if if the various individuals involved, Ange, Michael Nicholson, Chris Mackay, the various guys at the club that are doing good things, that they'll maybe say, yep, there's an opportunity here and, and let's do things differently. Now, my gut feeling is that not... Too much will change, you know, down that road in terms of the messaging and how Celtic position themselves. But why not Paddy come out with that kind of positive PR messaging? Listen, I've listed some of the pros of Peter Cowell, Peter Lawwell. There are dozens of pros, mm-hmm. right? If you want to really sit, sit and look in the finer detail and stuff. So why don't Celtic move further to to capitalise on the various positive things and, and turn something which is at the moment questionable into something more positive? Because I think, albeit there are the, the, 
the pros, I'd, I'd probably say there's more cons though, you know, in my opinion. I, I, I think, you know, we're talking about the, the work that Nicholson's done, the work that Chris McKay's done and the work that uh, Postacoglu's done. First and foremost, Postacoglu should be coming in as a manager and a manager only in, in a modern modern day football club. Mm-hmm. He's come in and had to do absolutely everything. I'm surprised he's not been making the tea for them as well. Just the way everything that's been mentioned, he's been doing his own uh, scouting. He's been doing his own, uh, like basically transfer negotiations with certain players. Mm-hmm. And even he said that, you know, now that, the likes of Mark Lowell, sorry, Mark Lowell's coming in and the likes of more scouting coming into the team that suits the type of players that he wants. He'll eventually, eventually be in the key word to be able to take a step back. So for a club to be in that position, the state that we've been left in under that old setup, no wonder that they're really, really keeping quiet and trying to put this out whilst the attention isn't fully there, if mm-hmm. you know what I mean. It's another really good point because Ange Postacoglu had to pick up a lot of pieces, you know, when he came in the door. And, and as you say, Paddy, if the structure was right, he would have just been slotted in as almost as head coach, you know, as opposed to anything else. But as you say, he's had so much to do and it's testament to the man and who he is and, and what we now know of him that he's been able to do so successfully. But it's been far too much for one man. I do get he's the type that probably wants that though, wants that involvement, just wants to oversee everything and probably I would say long that may, long may that continue, I think. Um, but as a team, as we try and bring ourselves up to the same level as, as clubs in Europe, that where we should be, we just want him managing, we want him, we want him still kind of looking at the players that he wants and he gets the players that he wants. None of this, Neil or Ronnie, Try this guy out, see how he does. None of that can't happen anymore. There will be flying sharks in the car park if that ever happens oh, again. Oh, God. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Um, to close out this section, so the, the topic on Peter Lowell, I'm just going to read out a couple of the quotes um, that Celtic produced on the, the official statement when they made the appointment. And they've they've gone hold, all out. Hold your nose. They've gone all out. So there's various quotes. So there's Michael Nicholson, Dermot Desmond, outgoing chairman Ian Bank here and of course Ange I'm just going to give you Michael Nicholson's quote and Ange's quote so Michael Nicholson says we're delighted to welcome Peter as chairman and I look forward to working with him as we continue to progress and develop the club Peter has a wealth of experience in the football industry at a domestic European and global level which is invaluable to the club moving forward our collective objective is to create a world class football club that our supporters can be proud of competing at the highest level with a strategy based on growth and continuous improvement so all good and it's it's hard to argue but they've thought long and hard about what Michael's is, Michael's going to say because that's I think that's a combined effort they've, somebody said that <laughs> yeah. so they've gone through that very very carefully take, take that word out put that word in anyway that's how it works and almost anything Ange was going to say was going to be fine we know that um, but he's quoted as saying it's fantastic news for the club that Peter will be taking up the role of chairman he was instrumental in bringing me to Celtic so Again, good to hear that for sure that that's on the record from Ange. Uh, I know the love he has for the club and I know that his wealth of experience and knowledge will be invaluable to us all as we move forward together. So it's all good stuff. It's a clear PR offensive by the club, timing-wise, word-wise, everything around it, not making the announcement the AGM. But as you say, Paddy, you can, you can see why they've done it. So they've tried to box Clever. I'd rather move them forward, they box more genuine. It would, would be my term. So final question for you both. Have either of you changed your mind or your stance in any way regarding the appointment of Peter Lowell as we've chatted that through? Time will tell. That's all I would say. I, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of it at all. I don't think it's a, the right decision, especially with the, the feel-good factor around the club. Time will tell if he's got his nose in anything, if he's still got a say in stuff. Um, 
we will see it. We will we will recognise it very very quickly. And I hope you are listening, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> and yourself, James. Any final thoughts on this one? I think it's just that it's pulling us back from a real high. You know. So if companies make these types of decisions all the time when it looks like a misstep, if you're going to break momentum, whether it's you know football or, or anything else in the corporate world, if you're going to break momentum, it better be for a bigger picture reason. So tell us what it is because at the moment it's really difficult to get our heads around. It may be just one of those he sits in the background and ticks away. My experience of Mr Lowell so far hasn't been that way. Um, but there's an opportunity here to do the right thing. Um, there's changes required around about the board structure in order to affect that. It could be a stroke of genius or it could be a disaster, Paddy. That's the thing, you know, there's all options are on the table. So, listen, it's a topic which is going to rumble on for some time and the biggest hope amongst us supporters is that absolutely nothing is allowed to derail what Angie's looking to do. So, let's see how it all plays out. Before we move on to the final section this week, I want to quickly highlight some of the brilliant reviews we've received recently from some of our listeners. These are a huge help to us and are hugely appreciated by all at the team, so I'll run through these ones quickly. First up from Chris Knowles, a great insight on the topics that affect the club on and off the park. Five stars, boys. Paddy, you know Nosey, don't you? Nosey, good man. Good good shout from Nosey. Number two is from Mikey. Mikey says, a great listen. I really enjoy the reaction shows after the games. And Mikey's referring here, of course, to the post-match shows that we do for every game over at the Celtic Exchange Plus. He says, a little bit less James Forrest hate, and it might just be my favourite podcast. <laughs> I think he's talking to you, James. Aye, right. Or you. No, I talked to him. <laughs> he's no. not talking to my fourth paddy, I don't or think. Or me, I love Forrest. Uh, so maybe that's directed at you and I. And finally from Mary, my number one podcast, an excellent balance of discussion and humour. Keep up the good work, lads. So our thanks this week to Nosey, to Mikey and to Mary. And you can view these and all of our listeners' reviews at theceltichexchange.com. If you're enjoying what we do and want to provide us with that extra bit of support, then please take 60 seconds to leave us a short review at Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Each week here on the weekly show, one of the team will pick out something of interest that they've either watched, read or listened to that week in the world of Celtic media that they then recommend to our listeners. This week, James has something very close to home that we think many of our listeners here will enjoy. James, what have you got? It's your good self and Martin O'Neill. Um, so it was quite short notice, you know, when you, you said you were, um, I think you were hopeful, but hadn't been confirmed. And then it was like, it's on tomorrow kind of thing. So I was looking forward to it uh, with some anticipation. And I suppose what it does, and it's, it'll be the same for the, everyone who's listened to it so far, it transports you right back to, to 2001. Um, we were talking to Brian who was in last week, and he was saying, you know, he was just a wee bit younger when, when he arrived, I think. Is that fair? Well, he's he's about the same age as me, which is very, very young. I didn't know that. He's, he's much older than I thought. Looking good, Brido. Paddy, Paddy's a young team. Ah. Yeah. So, he was, whatever he was talking about that, he was saying... You know, what was Anil's legacy? And I, I said, well, for me, Anil's legacy was basically just deleting the 90s. Because see, when he came in, the, we were still running off of like, you know, was it one league and whatever, a um, couple of cups here and there. And Anil just came in and blew it all out of the water, took us to Europe. You know, we get into the kind of law side of things, took us back out of Europe, but Anil put us back on on the stage. So just listening to that interview took me right back there. I mean, what, what was it like for yourself to do? It was great, it really was. It was a real buzz. And if you could handpick somebody from... Celtic's modern history speak to Martin would be right up there so I uh, had about 40-45 mith- minutes with him in studio last week then spent a bit of time with him beyond that which was great um, he's got so much to tell even out with the Celtic story Paddy so you know the football genius that was mm-hmm. Brian Clough and, and his um, 
his ongoing search for Clough's approval over the years. Uh, he's won two European Cups, albeit he didn't play in one of the finals, but he's, you know, he's got a European Cup medal in his back pocket. Um, Not according to Peter Grant. <laughs> well, he played in the final in 1980. Um, he talks about his background, his family's love for Celtic, um, his dad, who's nicknamed the Barber, you know, his dad who was the Barber in the, the local town in Coleray. Talks about some of those key players from the the, kind of the the Seville team, if you like. And we all know the big hitters, but he went on to talk about Jackie McNamara, the fact that he potentially owes him an apology because he, he underrated McNamara. He since went on to say, listen, the guy was a real warrior and he was such a huge part of things. But at first, I maybe underestimated him. And there, there's so many other things. There's a wee story I asked him, actually, um, and it's always niggled at me. So if you were to Google Martin O'Neill right now, in terms of some of the images that come up, whether it's uh, Leicester, Celtic, Wickham Wanderers, Villa, Sunderland, Ireland, he always or very often went out with a, a number 31 on his training top and for the life of me I couldn't work it out. So Martin was a, a winger type player, he would wear 7, 11, 10 sometimes, never 31 and it certainly wasn't in the, those days of squad numbers. So it was just, I mean I asked it in the recording but I asked him, Seth, says, what's the story there? He said, well there is a story. He says, so he's quite superstitious by his very nature. And when they won that European Cup in 1980 with Forest, so they beat Kevin Keegan's Hamburg in the final at the Bernabeu, uh, a couple of weeks later, or whenever it was, all the players that took part were given a, a mini European Cup replica trophy um, and a plaque and a few different things as a keepsake. And his trophy, they were all stamped and his was stamped with number 31. Now, first of all, he says, I don't know who the other 30 were because there was only, I think, 14 <laughs> players. So maybe Clough spanked a few or whatever. <laughs> so he had number 31 and such was his superstition that that just became his lucky number so that appeared in all his tracks so as I say Google it just now you'll see 31 across the board and I just thought it was a, an interesting wee insight it's nothing football as such but an interesting wee insight into his superstition I'd say that that's maybe a bit of an exclusive for you because I, I remember over the years talking to people about that why it was 31 and you know there's Loads of loads of like theories about it. One of them being, uh, you know, it's thirteen backwards for the unlucky thing. He's just trying to like beat that. There was yeah. just loads of different like views on it. But he's been asked it quite a few times before, and he's never given the answer. Oh really? Aye, aye. So there you go. Ah, well, yeah. unless it's in, off gap. it might be in the book. Or uh, maybe. or he might be getting a phone call. It's not in the book. <laughs> <laughs> he told me while he was in my motor eating a some sort of sandwich at a Tesco. Anyway, that's a separate story. <laughs> Tell me this from, from the chat to him that day, because you you know, beyond the interview, you'd maybe like four, four or five hours in his company kind of thing. Mm -hmm. What do you think's next for Anil? So, so that is a good question. I, I presumed, you know, when, when so Martin O'Neill was 70 years of age, born in 1952, and had such a, a long and successful career in management. Then when you get to the point where you're writing the book and, and writing down your memoirs, you think that's it, party's yeah. over. But the suggestion is that he, he wants one more crack at it, management-wise, if the right job comes along. Now, I don't know, didn't get any what that might be, you know, whether it's maybe a director of football-type role, but I, I known, don't think so. Yeah, knowing the kind of guy he is, I think he wants to be hands-on. I think he wants to influence players. One of the very first parts of the book, the book is brilliant, and we're going to do some promo stuff. We've got some signed copies, which we'll give away in the weeks ahead. But there's a, a part of the book where he sees management is just a real privilege and a real chance, particularly in the 15, 20 minutes leading up to kickoff, to really influence what's going to happen. He loves the psychology of it all. We know he's a smart guy. You know, he, he studied law at Queen's University in Belfast before uh, taking on the football career. And he just sees football management as something that absolutely drives him. So yeah, you know, he could, by all accounts, get any sort of director of football at any big club. But I think he just wants one last crack at coaching. Whatever that might be, 
Scotland, England, League of Ireland, or oh, I don't know. Would you, but but would, he's still ambitious. Would you take him back? <laughs> I think it'd be hard emotionally not. There's to. more chance of vacancy across the river than the summer. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't think he would go there. But now listen, a fascinating guy, one of the most genuine characters you could meet and um just a real pleasure to genuine pleasure to spend some time with him. Paddy, I was going to ask you a final question before we move on from this section. James, myself and Brido spoke last week about uh, the Martin O'Neill in general and first of all favourite players from that time aside from Henrik Larson who would stand out for you? Uh, it has to be Alan Thompson Yeah, uh, every top I bought I get Thompson in the back just to be different for everyone getting Larson but more so Thompson just I think there was a quote for Henrik Larson saying if I didn't have Alan Thompson or Lubomir Baravchik I'd, I'd score half, wouldn't even score half the goals I scored at Celtic um, he was he was great he, he, he knew exactly what it was to play for that team he knew exactly what it was about scoring against them and he just he put everything onto the park just a, a great player and just someone that um, yeah I, I will always always remember some of his great goals and just what he brought and I remember even being dead excited for him when he got his England call up he played and it was just it was a massive sign for Celtic that we could get players into, into that England team and just aye, a great uh a great player for us and I'll never forget uh, the anger of, of his first season I don't know if you guys remember this and you call me the young one but I remember stuff like this right he um, he'd said to John John Gregory at Aston Villa he wanted to leave Celtic were interested Gregory put him on for five minutes in a European game to cup time really aye that's why he was cup time when he signed for Celtic yeah. for that season um, so obviously Easy answer for you there then in terms of your favourite player of the time. But what about favourite game? So we, we spoke again, you know, the 6-2 game, the Boa Vista semi-final for James, beating Juventus 4-3 at Celtic Park. Listen, there's dozens, but any game that stands out for you? Um, I'd say the 6-2 game. Um, I know it's an easy one to say, but I, I went with my brother Liam and uh, the two of us got the tickets on the day. Um, my dad had used their season tickets elsewhere. Thanks for that. Um, and uh, we got tickets on the day, but when we went, we went up to the the seat, we were way up the back of the the Jockstein. And um, uh, no, sorry, not the Jockstein. Uh, North Stand. We were just down at the corner. The basically the guy, the steward, was saying, "Come down with me." He took his he took us down to the bottom, and we were right at the front row. But he'd moved us in behind the goals a little bit instead because there were spare seats there. Um, and when we scored the first, you know, two of us end up in the newspaper. My brother's right next to Sutton celebrating, and it's just, I never forget that. Never forget that you'll day. Need, if you can, you'll need to dig that uh, out. I, I'm, I'm not. It. All you see is my arms, but you see my brother Lee. <laughs> you see my brother Liam. And uh, definitely your arms. A hundred percent. Let's share your arms in the socials, <laughs> just for sure. No, it's great stuff. And, and listen, you could spend hours just talking about memories from that time. You know young fans, old fans or whatever, but just a, a really special time in Celtic's history and it was great to speak to Martin O'Neill last week. So the episode with Martin O'Neill is only available to subscribers of the Celtic Exchange Plus, but if you're not yet subscribed, here's how you can listen now for free. So we're offering a seven day free trial of the Celtic Exchange Plus right now, which means that all new subscribers won't be charged a single penny until day eight. There's a few sign up options, including one which offers our full subscription package for the equivalent of just £3.75 a month. And you can find all of the information and the 60 second sign up process at the Celtic Exchange.supercast.com. So visit the site now to enjoy the full interview with Martin O'Neill, as well as everything else that we offer to our subscribers. James, it's been a busy old show, and this time next week we'll be looking forward to the return of competitive Celtic action. What's your closing comments for tonight's show? Probably the same as I've said the last two, just get this international stuff out of the road and get back to proper football. Um, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm to say I'm enjoying the World Cup. Um, we're off on a you know, warm weather training camp, so it'll be good to see you know, whether you boys going to be there, how they fit in, um, you know, who's shown, who's what, who's going to be looking good. There's a wee bit of talk today that Jack and Marcus is like, school guys, we're going to renegotiate and, you know, it's it's all calmed down, but don't know, I think there's legs on that. I do think there's, some, there's something to it anyway, um, but I'd like to keep both Jack and Marcus Kyogo and I want to see a striker uh, signed by the end of January, by the end of the first week in January, sorry. Maybe the chap from South Korea, there's, there's, there's certainly talk there. And yeah, I mean, no smoke without fire. Jack Amakis and Juranovic, I, I mentioned it uh, here and in an article a couple of weeks ago. I think they're the first two high-profile Celtic players to move on. First, under Ange, of course. Um, Paddy, Bob yourself, great to have you back on board. What's your final thoughts for the week? Good to be back on board. I was actually, I was going to touch on just a final point in the, the Anil interview. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's when he recalls the Juventus game. Uh, and oh, listen to that, I generally thought, yeah. oh, I thought he was going to go for it again, man. Yeah. Oh, I really did. It, it was takes brilliant. you right back here, doesn't it? It did, it yeah. did. The, I'll never forget that interview. Uh, no one will forget that interview. Um, Am I also taking a dive? Aye. Oh, shocking. Oh, blatant, and imagine the, the, Vardy. shoving as well, you know? He, aye. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. Yeah. <laughs> so good. And I just generally thought he was getting wound up again. And I was like, Tino's going to get one here. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant stuff. So that wraps things up on another episode of the Celtic Exchange Weekly. Thanks to James and Paddy for joining me today and as always, our thanks to you for listening. If you're enjoying the show, remember to leave us a review on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It really makes a big difference to what we are doing. And finally, a reminder to visit the celticexchange.supercast.com to tune in now for free to that very special interview with Martin O'Neill. But in the meantime, for myself and the team, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you again this time next week. Network.